We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Okay, so Ms. Lesson, we've got um, sections 51 through 57. It's pretty interesting how these are broken down. And I, I look at section 51 as kind of like, first of all, it brings me a little bit of comfort in that Edward Partridge is called to be the bishop for everybody. And he's kind of like, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> it's a little bit like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Can I get some more guidance on this whole bishop thing? Like, and so the Lord gives him this revelation, you know, here's how you're supposed to break things down. I want you to have a bishop's storehouse. I want you to give everybody their stuff according to their need. Um, and also I found it interesting in, in verse 14. And let him also reserve unto himself for his own wants and for the wants of his family, as he shall be employed in doing this business. Almost like, don't forget to take care of yourself, too. Like, and don't feel guilty that you're taking some of what everyone has contributed for yourself. You have to sustain yourself, too. And remember, he was told to do nothing else other than be bishop earlier. And so he's not really sustaining himself in any other way. And I, I think the, the tendency would be either... For you as an individual to say, I feel guilty taking some of this when I'm not really contributing materially. And I also think that there might be other people that are like, oh, I wonder how much Bishop Partridge is taking out of this. He doesn't even work anymore. You know, they could start to stir some of that consternation up. And the Lord's saying, look, you got to take some for yourself. You need to take care of yourself and your family. Yeah, there's also I, I like what it mentions in the manual about the, the principle of like stewardship and yeah. consecration. And the quote, there's a quote by Elder Quinton L. Cook. And it says, we live in perilous times when many believe we are not accountable to God and that we do not have personal responsibility or stewardship for ourselves or others. Many in the world are focused on self-gratification and do not believe that they are their brother's keeper. In the church, however, we believe that these stewardships are a sacred trust. And I really like that because it kind of hits almost all parts of the spectrum of like things with personal accountability and what are we responsible for. And especially in the world we live in, I mean, look at what we've, we are currently going through with this pandemic. We're, we're nearing hopefully towards its end, but a lot of the things that have been place, put in place and guidelines and suggestions are to help those who are most prone to have the worst reactions in the, to, to the disease, right? right? And so sometimes we try to, we forget that we are to be our brothers and sisters keepers. When we can, we are to try to help 
in whatever way that that is our responsibility as as disciples of Christ and in that personal responsibility or stewardship I like that those he uses those two things as synonyms for ourselves and for others you know our greatest stewardship and responsibility is our own agency you know what are we doing and then from there my kids and my family my spouse and my yeah. neighbors and my fellow countrymen and countrywomen right and and everyone right so it, it's it's interesting because there isn't a there isn't um a thread of isolationism in here or the lord bless me with abundance therefore i must have done something right you don't have abundance therefore you're a sinner you must have done something wrong that's a very dangerous way of thinking about the abundance we've been given yeah i also found it interesting uh let's see in verse eight and the money which is left unto this people let there be an agent appointed unto this people to take the money to provide food and raiment according to the wants of this people and then later in here let me see if i can find it it says agent again verse 12 and this shall be done through the bishop or the agent, which shall be appointed by the voice of the church. What, who is this agent? And what is the equivalent now? Like, I, I don't know that we necessarily have someone with this exact role other than the bishop, but like, it seemed like it was Edward Partridge is the bishop. He's the one making decisions. And then the agent is the one kind of enacting them. Is that? It, I think it's a helper. Like a counselor? Delegates could be counselor, could be the Relief Society president, it could be Elder Scorn president, hmm. could be anyone who is then given uh, a delegation, like, hey, will you see to this need, you know? Kind of like when a Relief Society president or Elder Scorn president goes to do a food order, goes to someone's house and kind of oversees that. They're almost working as if they're representing the bishop in that sense, you know? I'm here to account for what your needs are and what you have and what you need what you lack so that we can provide for you i like that there's enough instruction based on principles like the lord gives an instruction do this then he gives some principles why you know and then counsels us to either watch out for something or continue to do something In, in these next few chapters there are people who are given new callings or reassigned callings or their callings is defined different or or corrected and then even in the same chapter said but you also have need to repent because you start worrying about the world more or or you're worrying about yourself or you're trying to excel or or so forth and and it's interesting because you have to look at i like looking at it as a whole um and sometimes you have to go outside the 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 the, the section yeah. And I look a little bit at the section before, the section after, what's happening. What did you yep. think about this section in section 52 and in the in the in the manual where it says, "God gave us a pattern to avoid deception"? Because I find it funny because there was a lot of deception going on early in the church. Well, there's still probably all the time everywhere. Right? <laughs> well, but there were some. I really like in verse 14 of, of 52. I give unto you a pattern in all things that you may not be deceived. For Satan is abroad in the land, and he goeth forth deceiving the nations. What I think he means by a pattern is that, like, there's order in everything. 
And also, he's always consistent. Every problem that arises, there's like a, a, a means by which you can go about it that includes fasting, include, uh, it can include prayer, scripture study, whatever it may be. But like the pattern is, is always the same. You can recognize when it's the Lord's way and when it's not. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like, I don't know how patterns were used anciently, <laughs> but at least in, in this time, this era, almost all cloth making was done with patterns. Like if, if you're trying to make clothing, you have to have a pattern, how to cut the fabric, you know, and, and things like that. And um, I think about tracing, like when you're drawing, like you would put the picture under and the paper over and you would just follow mm -hmm. to kind of learn. And it very much feels like the Lord uses patterns, like either follow this example, follow these these checkpoints until you are able to understand the overall image or picture or the design, you know? And sometimes a pattern, the, just the way I was thinking about it is we avoid deception because if you're following a pattern, when something doesn't fit the pattern or is out of the norm, we should be very careful. We should slow down and go back to what we know and say, does this make sense where we're going? Does, you know, it's almost like a validation tool. Like, um, Well, right after 14, he kind of tells us what the pattern is. He that prayeth, whose spirit is contrite, the same is accepted of me. He that speaketh, whose spirit is contrite, whose language is meek and edifieth, the same is of God. And again, he that trembleth under my power shall be made strong and shall be made and shall bring forth fruits of praise and wisdom. And again, he that is overcome and bringeth not forth fruits, even according to this pattern, is not of me. Wherefore, by this pattern ye shall know the spirits in all cases under the whole heavens. It's like, it's pretty clear. As long as you're doing things honestly, genuinely, contritely, right? You're doing it humbly. Then you're doing it in the Lord's way. If you're doing it to elevate yourself, if you're doing it to take advantage of someone else, that's not the Lord's way. And I think that's kind of the simplest pattern he could probably give us and explain it in that simple way. If someone comes to you and they're trying to either manipulate you or just benefit themselves instead of elevate God, then they're trying to deceive you. And that's not the pattern of God. So one of the patterns I think that in the early, the early church has to learn, and we still have to learn, is that revelation for the entire church comes through the prophets. You know, and there are times when, especially there are going to be accusations of, oh, it's a fallen prophet. I'm receiving revelation now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's not the Lord's pattern. The Lord has in the scriptures never had a one prophet uh, kind of create a, um, a mutiny and take over the prophetship, the prophetship of another. <laughs> one. He just takes his prophet, calls them home. If, if they need to, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's kind of how I thought of it. But but like you said, I think it's spot on. Like if you follow to, if you search, if you seek to have the spirit with you when you make decisions, that's the correct pattern. But that takes a whole, that takes a high level of integrity to really ask yourself, have I sought the spirit? Am I doing what's right? Is this the spirit? Am I honest in my intentions, you know? Yeah. 
or or you know it's also very easy when something is good and we want it and we can let our emotions kind of give us a false positive you know what i mean there yeah i i think that one of the things that really stuck out to me in in section 52 was this idea he's he's telling every he's telling several partnerships of people you know to be ordained and to go take their journey to go teach the gospel and there's this part in verse 41 and it says again let my servants joseph smith jr and Sidney rigdon and edward partridge take with them a recommend from the church and let there be one obtained for my servant oliver cowdery also and thus even if i as i have said if you are faithful you shall assemble yourselves together and rejoice upon the land of missouri which is in the land of your inheritance which is now in the land of your enemies that recommend part um i found that kind of an interesting thing because uh it links to acts 14 26 it says and thence sailed to antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of god for the work which they have fulfilled and then in acts again chapter 15 verse 40 and paul chose silas and departed being recommended by the brethren to the grace of god it's almost like the the saints are saying these are our representatives these people are recommended by god to do this work and i carry a recommend in my wallet right my temple recommend and we use that word very loosely oh yeah it's time for recommend interviews but it's like do we really understand that 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 document is basically a group of people who have all agreed on certain principles as ordained by God. And I go in and I say, I'm following those principles. And they're saying, okay, then we recommend that you can go to the temple. And you can have this document that says all of us, you know, God knows, you've told him you're doing you're doing your best to do all these things. You now have you are now a recommend carrier, right? And I just thought, wow, I, I have it in my wallet. It's always there. I get a little reminder every so often that I need to renew it, you know. But really what that is, is it's God saying, you're one of me. And we should all strive to to not only try and have that current, but if you if for whatever reason you don't have one, do what it takes. And even if you live far away from the temple and may not have the opportunity to go very often, like just having that knowing that you can. You can go to the temple. I think is is a blessing. I, I I like that. That makes a lot of sense. I I thought as you were speaking, I thought also of on a mission how you are called elder. Yeah. Carry that. It's almost like a external recommend. You know, <laughs> where we actually on my mission we actually had to carry a document that was lamin photocopied document that was laminated from the Gu government of Guatemala that said that we had permission to be missionaries, you know, to be like walking clergy or whatever. We had a little <laughs> something similar. It was stateside. It was in Chicago, but it was like, you're an ordained minister in your church. You know? Right. Um, and, and I think about that and I think, you know, we are, and like you said, the temple recommend, I mean, it's word for word. And I'm curious if that's where it comes from, you know, the, these, yeah. uh, these examples in the scriptures. But also, I would add that the recommend isn't a seal that you're perfect. Absolutely not. No. It's it's also your. It goes back to the two phrases we hear above 
in 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 the in the lesson of consecration and stewardship. You know, yep. uh, the consecration is I do holy things, I set aside holy acts, and put forth my best effort because this is an offering unto the Lord. You know? And not only that, but it also follows the same pattern that he outlines earlier in the section, right? It doesn't say, wherefore, he that prayeth perfectly, the same is accepted of me. It says, he that prayeth, whose spirit is contrite, mm-hmm. right? If you go into the Temple Recommend interview and you're like, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm kind of a jerk to people. <laughs> you know, Sometimes I'm not perfect. Uh, sometimes I have impure thoughts, you know. But are you contrite? Are you trying? Are you doing your best? Are you on the path? You know, I think that's what it comes down to. I like in 56 where he's saying um, he's kind of the Lord is is starting in verse five. He's talking, you know, where I revoke the commandments which I have given to Thomas Marsh and Ezra, meaning. I told you to do this. Now I'm going to tell you to do this thing, you know, changing your calling, basically, or. Or your assignment, you know. In in verse six, you know, I revoke the commandment given to Selah Griffin and New Knight in consequence of the stigmatness of the people in the Thompson Rebellion. So, in one, in the example above, there is, there isn't a reason why their calling was changed. It was just told you need to speedily get to Missouri. And in verse six, it said. You've done what I told you, but because the people aren't accepting you because they, they're rebellious and stiff-necked heart, <laughs> then then do a different thing, right? right. And, and so forth. And in verse 8, Ezra 3 must repent of his pride and his selfishness and obey the former commandments, which I have given concerning the place which he lives, though there shall be no division. And then he keeps going, and my servant Joseph Smith Jr., must needs pay the money. Behold, I, the Lord, will pay it unto him again in the land of Missouri. And he keeps going very specifically with people. And, and he says, 15, and your hearts are not satisfied. And you obey not the truth. But in, in verse 14, I know I'm jumping all over the place. Your sins have come up unto me and are not pardoned because ye seek to counsel in your own ways. And in verse 17, woe unto poor men and those who don't have a broken heart and don't have a contrite spirit whose bellies are not satisfied and so on. What really stuck out to me in this verse is, is how in the same verse, chapter, section, Revelation, the Lord gives practical instruction, very practical instruction. Uh, now that the objective is to get to Missouri as quickly as possible, stop doing that, get to Missouri. Now that you're in an area where the people are just too stiff-necked, they're not being receptive, change your tactic, go do something else. You know. Now that you... Are looking forward be sure you pay back the money you need to before you move forward again right. you know you know and and i kind of look at all of that as still the pattern of the lord because he also corrects admonishes and nowhere is he throwing people out and and i think if the lord can view his saints in this way where he can say you know and and he lets them know you know the kingdom is yours you're being led to zion land of promise you know he tells them very great things, but also provides instruction and correction. And so the pattern should be similar with us. We should not expect the Lord to shower us with positivity. Not that that's not a good thing, but there are times when we have to hear by the Spirit, you need to work a little bit harder, or you need to tidy this part up of your life. And that 
that's how you know that it's the Lord, because he will, like in the scripture says, he'll show you an increase of love. Reproof becomes with sharpness, removed about by the spirit, but then showing an increase of love so that they don't esteem you to be an enemy. Right. And that's how he does these things. And I, I find that to be a really comforting thing because it feels right. If the Lord is trying to develop us, this kind of revelations and patterns. I jumped ahead, started yeah. talking about. You jumped to 56. Yeah. But I think the lesson, the Sunday school lesson kind of jumps around anyway. So in section 56, in verse 14, I thought that was really interesting when the Lord, he's now speaking to all the people, all the saints, basically, saying, thus saith the Lord unto my people, you have many things to do and to repent of. For behold, your sins have come up unto me and are not pardoned because ye seek to counsel in your own ways. It's funny because, well, not funny, but it's interesting that the pardoning is kind of conditional on our ability to follow the Lord's counsel. So to me, what I feel is like he's not asking us to be perfect. He knows we're going to have sins and he's going to continuously pardon us. But are we tr going about it in the ways of the Lord? Or are we abandoning the patterns of the Lord because we're chasing our own patterns or creating our own patterns? And, um, and 15, 16, 17, 18 verse, verses in section 56 kind of hit with this, this um, the theme of the lesson for this section is blessed are the pure, the pure in heart. And it says in these verses, the Lord spake both to the rich and to the poor. It might be interesting to compare his counsel to these two groups. And in verse 16, he starts out to the rich people, the people that have more or, or you know, have been blessed more, or have more abundantly, that will not give your substance to the poor for your riches will kinker your soul. And this shall be your lamentation in the day of the visitation and of judgment and, in, and of indignation. The harvest is past, the summer's ended, and my soul is not saved. Which is interesting because he's saying that the, the very thing that you're holding on that think, that you think is going to make you happy is the very thing that's going to canker your soul. Meaning you, you won't find joy, you won't find fulfillment. And it's interesting at the end that you will basically say to yourself, the harvest is past, the summer's ended, and my soul is not saved. Meaning you're going to let be left wanting for all your abundance. It will never be enough when you are gluttonous or greedy. That may, you know, that may have that itself is turns into almost like an unquenchable fire that will ruin you. And then it's really interesting verse 17 where he is now speaking to the poor or those who have not very much or weren't given opportunities or, or just haven't accumulated much right whose heart are not broken whose spirits are not contrite whose bellies are not satisfied and whose hands are not stayed from laying upon other man's goods whose eyes are full of greediness and who will not labor with their own hands that was i've never i don't ever recall these two verses ever that i've ever seen them i've probably <laughs> read them a bunch of times but it never stuck out to me because we're dealing like I'm seeing the same thing. Both of these are greed. 
Yeah. They're great because you have a lot and you don't are scared of losing any or giving or sharing with any. Or greed because you don't have anything. And so you want what other people have, but you're also unwilling to labor. I think this applies to other things as well, not just wealth and money. I think this could be also applied to, you know, those in a position of privilege of any kind. Um, if you're holding on to that privilege and you're not helping other elevate other people, helping lift those around you, then that very thing is going to be your demise. And also, if you're a person in need of lifting, if you don't have that, but you're looking at those with envy and, and anger all the time, instead of what it says in verse 18, blessed are the pure Blessed are the poor who are pure in heart, whose hearts are broken, whose spirits are contrite, right? If you look at it and say, yeah, I may not have much, but I'm going to do my best to still be the best person I can be. Or I may not have all the advantages of other people, but I'm going to be the best person that I can be given what I have. Both of those are kind of in the same boat, right? You know, this reminded me a lot of the parable of the talents. No way. no way. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everything. It reminds me of the parable. It's, wait, it's either the, the widow's might or the, the, parable, might, of the, the, talents, the parable of the laborers. <laughs> the, the only three parables I ever know, right? <laughs> but the part that was interesting is that the rich person and the poor person, in essence, in the parable of the talents, it wasn't, it was the master that handed out the talents. And so in a way, sometimes we feel, well, I'm poor, but it's not my fault. I was born into poverty. And the rich man may say, hey, I'm rich, but hey, my family worked hard for it. My dad paid his dues. I deserve this, right? And in both the scenarios, like when I listen to the parable of the talents, in Matthew, the Matthew version, Matthew 25, it, it begins in verse 14 where he says, for it will be like unto a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with property. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And so for me, that part was like really interesting, because when I tie that to these two verses, it's like you were given, the Lord put you in, he knows where you were born, in what family you were born, in what situation you will be in. The expectation is that you use whatever you have. And some of you will have very little. Some of you will have very much. You know, and then it continues in verse 17, uh, verse 16. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded them and made five more. So he that had two talents made two more. And he who only received one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid it, his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled the accounts. And he who received five talents came forth, blah, 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 blah. And so, and, and then it's found the servants that had made more talents, the master said unto them, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much, entering to the joy of your master. And he who had only received one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That right there, just really impacted me because it's it, it is a sentiment that you have given me life you've given me this opportunity you only gave me one talent and he already says you're only getting one talent because that's what you can handle let's see if you can handle it and instead of proving him wrong instead of saying hey 
I'm going to show you I can handle it. <laughs> we then turn and say, hey, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you have no seed. It's almost like we turn on the Lord and we say, hey, you're the one that put me in this situation. You know, you know, and it's kind of like that greediness, that bitterness, the the canker of your soul, this this greed where one, we don't acknowledge that all of this is the Lord's anyway, right? And the situation in which we are born, we're to do the best we can. And even if we do very little, like the widow's might, if it's with pure intent, it will carry more weight than the obvious riches, the fancy Instagram posts, the celebrity this, celebrity that, you know, that may be hollow. It looks great, but our small efforts that are honest is what the Lord wants, right? Then section 57 is basically piecing together all the previous sections about who's getting callings and stuff. Um, different individuals have gotten callings to do different things. Sidney Gilbert was called to be the agent with the bishop and to help the bishop to administer goods and, and supplies and land and whatever to people. He's also called to open a store in Missouri to sell goods without fraud, it says, and that he may obtain money to buy lands for the good of the saints. And then also William W. Phelps was called to be a printer earlier in the previous section. And uh, he's basically saying, okay, now's the time when everyone's going to take assume those roles. And we're, we're moving on to Missouri, which is where the promised land will be. We got consecrated for the gathering of the saints. The place of, this is the land of promise, the place for the city of Zion. And he even tells them, there's a place which is now called Independence, is the center place, and a spot for the temple is lying westward upon a lot which is not far from the courthouse. Wherefore, it is wisdom that the land should be purchased by the saints, and also every tract lying westward, even unto the line running directly between Jew and Gentile. It's basically saying, this is where it's all going to go down. This is where it's going to happen. We need to start acquiring, and we need to start moving. And keep in mind, they just all moved to Ohio and started establishing themselves in Ohio, in Kirtland. And I'm pretty sure there were probably some people going, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> like, uh, we just left our homes in New York, left our farms, did everything we could to come to Ohio. We've arrived in Ohio, and now we're supposed to all go to Missouri? Like, I thought Ohio was the place where we were all supposed to be. And if we all go to Missouri, how long is it until, you know, we got to go to Nebraska or something? You know, like, what what's happening here? And I think that this just shows, like, number one, how much faith there needed to be. Because I would, I would, I myself would be like, wait, what now? You know, I would question this, I think. I would be a little bit like, can we, can we at least stay somewhere for a long time before moving somewhere else? And also not knowing, I imagine most people didn't know all of the conversations behind these revelations. And, you know, they're just getting told, okay, now we're all going to be doing this. And so-and-so has been called to do that. And the first question I would have would be like, why, why, why that place? It's, it's funny because the Lord asks very difficult things, almost seemingly impossible things. Acquire all this land, then get ready to lose it, and then go somewhere else, acquire it, build a temple, build a temple here. And some of it we say it's a test, you know, it's a test to the saints, test their faithfulness. 
and, and there are times when it's it's a test and they're rewarded with temple covenants. They're rewarded with the sealing power. They're rewarded. And then there's, like for me, I look at it and I think I've seen and heard some sharp criticisms of our current prophet in this COVID situation. Yeah. Why didn't they know this? Oh, we did a fast at the beginning to help, you know, and people thought like the next day with miraculously going to go away. Right. And, uh, you know, and then when it didn't, and then it ended up being longer and then church was closed, temples were closed, you know, things like that. It could be easy to despair, but the lesson for us and the lesson we can take of these saints is when we are reading their early history and revelations, and we now know what the church is like now because of them, because of their faithfulness. Where is the church now? Is a million times stronger <laughs> and has such a worldwide influence that it's like when Joseph organized the church in that little in the little home, there were six people there <laughs> for the legal organization of the church, right? And he turns to them and he says, you do not believe the destiny and the magnitude of this church. And they right there are thinking, we're going to build maybe a church house and get a hundred people, a thousand, you know, or maybe they were comparing themselves to other churches at the time. Oh yeah, we could be like that. And, and most of those have come and gone. <laughs> And the church just continues to grow, especially it's a miracle. It's a miracle in our day when overall religious affiliation numbers around the world for all religion seems to be going down. And the church continues to go up, continues to send missionaries, continue to build more temples, continue to do things. And it's it's interesting because I think the there that's one of the patterns I can also see is sometimes the Lord asks what we think is impossible of us. And even though they bought land and there were issues with some of the land, some people gave land, took it back. I think that Lehman Copley did that, right? Yeah. You know, he actually stopped. So the land was designated for people coming from New York to settle on and farm on. And it was his land and he agreed to it. But then it was after they went to the visit to the Shakers, his former congregation, that he was like, you know what, I'm not going to participate in this. No, they can't stay here. And it kind of left those people high and dry for a little bit because they had like, at least they knew there was going to be a destination for them. And then he kind of pulled that out, left the church, went back to the Shakers. And it was kind of like, whoa, okay, now we got to find somewhere else for these people to be when they get here. But you see that, you see that kind of thing happen when something is not fully explained, but is, is asked of us. That there's a tendency, like I said, my first response to, hey, we're in Ohio, but now we got to pick up and go to Independence, Missouri, would be like, why? What, what's wrong with where we are? Why that specific place? Like, I would start to be, like, analyzing the reason behind it instead of just being like, okay, that's what the Lord says. And you see that in a lot of people that our first reaction is, why would they do this? Why, why is this happening? Or why would the Lord allow... Uh, pandemic to start and then ask all of this of us you know there, because there's a bigger picture that maybe we don't always see there's also agency yeah uh this this gentleman what was his name Lee, lehman copley yep he had his agency he could have used it to bless his fellow saints 
he also could have used it to relent and go back to what he previously was comfortable with. And then we reach these these verses about greed and, and the Lord's promise saying that verse 18 in, in section 56, but blessed are the poor who are pure in heart, whose hearts are broken and whose spirit is contrite. For they shall see the kingdom of God coming in power and great glory unto their, unto their deliverance. For the fatness of the earth shall be theirs. For behold, the Lord shall come and his recompense shall be with him. And he shall reward every man and the poor shall rejoice. And their generation shall inherit the earth from generation to generation forever and ever. And it's, it's interesting because some of these things, some of the greatest trials we face is agency, is living and belonging to the Church of Christ that has correct principles and revelation and getting tremendous guidance and having a great pattern. But agency, either for good or for bad, changes things. You know, what could work, how, how the Lord is, wants us all to receive as much as we can but sometimes we can't receive because of agency, either our own or others that affect us, you know, and that's that's part of this life. And, and if we remove agency and we want God to be the autopilot of our lives, then we're in for a big disappointment because the world won't make sense. But with agency, we can see that the saints, the Lord wasn't playing a rude trick on them. You know, let's see how many times I can tell them one thing and then something else needs to happen. It was more, let's try again. Yep. Clean up your act. Everybody repent. Let's go again. It's in a essence like Moses in the wilderness. And, but they had 40 years. The Lord's like, okay, Missouri's done. Let's go to Kirtland. Okay, Kirtland. Let's go to Nauvoo. Okay, Nauvoo now worked out. Let's go to Utah, right? Or, you know, and so on. And, I think that's similar to a pattern in our lives. We are going through a lot of these things personally. And I like I like the standard of truth. Joseph Smith Jr., <laughs> the prophet, he said the standard of truth has been erected. No one hollow hand can stop the work from progressing. Persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, armies may assemble, calumny may defame, but the church of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent. Though it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, sounded in every year, so the purpose of, of God shall be accomplished and the great Jehovah shall say his work is done. That is the standard. That was the objective or is the objective, right? And sometimes in the beginning steps, like we, we can look at the standard of truth and say, man, he is right. <laughs> We're almost in every country, almost a temple, a temple in every continent, maybe not Antarctica, right? But <laughs> almost every country, except more accessible than ever. The scriptures... The, we have flooded the Book of Mormon with uh, the earth with the Book of Mormon. But even more than that, you know, digitally, missionaries are out there physically and digitally. Every, you know. But to those saints to hear something like this in the midst of persecutions, land problems, not knowing where, to, where they belong, and the Lord repeatedly saying, you belong with me. I have, I have, you're not forgotten. And I think that's, similar to stages of our lives where maybe we feel like our our own <laughs> independence like we just got to a new place what do we do we have to kind of start over 
Do we follow the principles of the Lord and his patterns? And it's, it's, I don't know, it's one of those times where you think of Isaiah, you know. You know, those that wait on the Lord shall not be ashamed. And we all have those moments, either for our personal lives, our education, our family life, having kids, receiving forgiveness, being able to forgive someone, being able to overcome fears, you know, whatever it may be that we find ourselves, that seems almost like an impossible task. But with the Lord and following his patterns, it may take several tries. We may have to try to overcome some, and it didn't work that time. But eventually it, it does work out. It wouldn't be as glorious if everything worked on the first try. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be really a trial of our faith because we would be like, oh, every time I do this, I succeed. Every time I do this, it's the last time. The Lord wants us to progress. And if it really is a line upon line, precept upon precept, you can look at the moving of the saints from place to place as kind of like every single time it was better. Every single time it was bigger, stronger. It, it was building upon them every single time. And so if you look at your own life and if you are in a Kirtland right now where you've got something good going on, but you're feeling that the Lord is impressing upon you the motivation to do something else. And you're looking at it like, I don't know if I'm ready for that right now. Just keep in mind he's building upon you all the time, pushing you on to the next stage. And sometimes it's going to suck. Sometimes it's going to be a really big challenge. Sometimes it's the last thing you want to do. But I don't think the saints wanted to cross the plains. <laughs> I don't think they were super thrilled about having to leave their beautiful city of Nauvoo. But look at what's come of that. Now it's all over the world. It's everywhere. And largely because of their faithfulness to follow the next step. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing. For we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.